You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, sir. Joshua chapter 3. pray. Father, we just come before you, God, this evening, Lord, and we are just so grateful and thankful, God, just for everything that you're doing already. God, the service started out, Lord, with our hearts being open before you and worshiping you, God, and declaring that you are good. And Father, even as we've had the opportunity to be able to lift up those within the body that are hurting and God, it's such a blessing to be able to come before you, Lord, and to draw near to your presence, God. And as we dig into your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask, God, that you would just move mightily upon our hearts and you would bring things to remembrance. You would, uh, Lord, illuminate our minds and our hearts to hear exactly what you would want to say to us. And we just thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it was so neat last week when we had an opportunity to be able to get around the tables and we had an opportunity to open up Joshua chapter one. And it was neat because there was so many great, at least within the group that I was in, there was a lot of great conversations. There was some great insight into the things that God had brought upon their hearts. And so kind of excited to see what God's going to do tonight as we're able to go around these tables and allow God to be able to speak to us. Now, if you can remember last week when Pastor Lance began to open up Joshua chapter 1, we really began to unfold and he began to lay the foundation as far as what we were going to be looking at as we went through the book of Joshua. We began to look at, um, in parallel, along with the book of um, the Victorious Christian Living, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to catch up on that, I would suggest you would. It's an awesome book. Um, we were laughing because one of the groups were saying, um, one of our guys read it numerous times. Like, for 20 years I've been reading this book. It's amazing. And so it, the book, it really is good. It really brings insight into what God was doing within the nation of Israel uh, in the crossing of the Jordan River and the entering into the Promised Land. So if you can remember back last week as we began really to open up chapter 1, we really started looking at the history of the nation of Israel. And it was important for us to look at it because their history would determine uh, very much so the, the direction that they were going. And what I mean by that is the fact that we began to look at the reality that they were, the children of Israel, were in Egypt held in bondage. And as we all know, we begin to see that God's work and desire within his people was to draw them out of bondage in Egypt. Now, as we look at the history of the nation of Israel, we can understand that God's desire was much more than just bringing the children of Israel out of their bondage. It wasn't just the goal of bringing them out of their chains. But God's desire within the life of his people was to draw them out of bondage, and to bring them into the promised land. And as we began to see, what we began to notice is because of the heart of the people, because of the issues that they dealt with, we understand that an entire generation would perish. There was great disappointment. There was great disobedience and discouragement and disbelief. All that happened within the time in the wilderness that would have ultimately led to an entire generation perishing an entire generation failing to obtain everything that God had for them. And so as we began to make personal application last week, one of the things we began to see is the very fact that you and I are very similar to the nation of Israel. And what I mean by that is the fact that God has brought you and I out of our Egypt, if you would. He has delivered us from the chains of the world. And very much just like the nation of Israel, God's desire is not only just to bring you and I out of the bondage and the chains, but it's to take you and I into a new life. A new life that is lived in the perfect will of God. Alan Redpath would talk about it 
as being uh, a life lived on a higher plane. And he would make reference to that very much throughout his book. Pastor Lance made reference to this as uh, being a life that is lived in the perfect will of God. And so understanding that God's desire for us was much more than just bringing us out of bondage, but that his desire was to bring us into this new life where we would be able to obtain everything that he had for us. And so that's the foundation we begin to set and lay as we are working our way through the book of Joshua, making our way into the promised land. Now, what we began to see as we started Joshua chapter 1 is the transition period. There's a transition of leadership. You remember that Moses was the one that God had raised up to lead his people out of the nation, or I'm sorry, out of Egypt and into the promised land, a trip that would have taken some few weeks. But because of all the issues, they wandered for 40 years. Moses himself, a man like you and I with great weakness and his disobedience and misrepresenting God, unfortunately, was not able to lead the people into the promised land. And so what we find here is this transition where now God has raised up Joshua, this young man, I should say, yeah, he's in his 80s, very young still, a man who had been serving faithfully under Moses. And God would now touch his shoulder and would say, okay, now it's time I'm raising you up to be the man that I use to be able to lead my people into the promised land. And so last week, we kind of touched base on a lot of different things, on the character um, that Joshua had, the character of a calling, uh, that he was faithful. We talked about the encouragement of strength that God was calling him to have, to find strength and to find courage within the word of God and within the presence of God. You guys remember we discussed these things. And so as we move through Joshua chapter 1, we get to the end. And one of the things that we find is Joshua says this. In Joshua 1.10, Joshua says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan and go into the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And so as we are leaving chapter 1, what we begin to see is that Joshua has called the people through his officers to tell the people to prepare themselves. Tell the people to prepare provisions for themselves for three days because after the three days, God is going to move. God is going to be moving within their lives after the season of preparation. And so as we pick up today, we'll be in chapter 2 of Joshua. And what we're looking at now is we're looking at this time of preparation. And we're going to be looking at exactly what God was doing within these three days. It wasn't that God needed a time to rest or to prepare. But it was quite the opposite where God was working to prepare his people. And so what we're going to find within today is the fact that God needed to do something with the people. And God needed to do something in the people. And so as we're able to look through this tonight, hopefully we're able to draw out some um, things that will be applicable to our lives and hopefully we'll find you where you are at today, wherever that may be. And there may be some things that God speaks to you. Because what we begin to see as we look through the story, we begin to ask ourselves, well, what was God doing specifically through these three days? And what you begin to see is that God was working within the lives of unbelievers specifically those that were living in the land of Canaan, the city of Jericho. But God was also working within his people. There was something that God was doing simultaneously, working in two different groups of people, all for the same purpose. For the purpose of drawing these people closer to him. And what that would look like for each group would be completely different. And I suspect that in a room like this, we all find ourselves in very different spiritual places within our lives, different seasons of life of walking with God. But the same purpose at, is at work that God's desire is to draw you into a closer and deeper and more personal relationship with him. And what that may look like for me may look like or may look different to you 
or may look different to you. But the purpose in mind is the same, where God's desire is to draw you and I deeper and closer to him. And so what we find here, what we'll look at, we, I broke it up into two areas to make it a little bit easier to follow and to make it easier to apply to our hearts and lives. The things that we're going to see is that there was a necessity of changing lives. And then there was also a necessity of counting the cost. And so we'll break that out and begin to see what that looks like to you and I. So if you have your Bible, we're in Joshua chapter 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, uh, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And so what we begin to see as we look now at our story taking off, we begin to look at the first thing that we want to identify, which is the necessity of lives being changed. And as the story picks up here in verse 1, we begin to see that Joshua sends two men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, it's very interesting because this very much probably would have reminded him of his own trip. Remember, years earlier, Moses would have sent him, along with his other men, 12 in total, would have gone into the promised land, and they would have gone searching out to see what God was going to do. And you remember that himself, Joshua, and Caleb would have come back with a good report, but the 10 men would have come back with an evil report. It would have discouraged the people would have caused them to have fear within them. So it's interesting here that Joshua, rather than sending 12, sends two. So I think with two, we're safer off. And so he sends these two men over, and these men, they they go out and probably trying to survey the land, a little recon job, right, trying to figure out what is it like? What kind of issues are we going to go through? What kind of problems may arise? What is the current condition of the people? And so as you begin to see what ends up happening is these men, they make their way into the land of Canaan, specifically the city of Jericho. And it tells us that they find themselves within the city and in the house of Rahab, a harlot. Now, very interesting that they would choose to go into this house. We really don't know why. We really don't understand exactly why. But there's a few things we can keep in mind here. One is obviously that they were following the leading of the Lord. And so there must have been this divine appointment that was necessary, that God was leading them in this direction. But there are also very practical reasons why they may have gone there. Understanding that the business happening there, a harlot was running business there. It's very possible that there was many people from throughout the entire city that would make their way into this place maybe even people from outside of the city gates. And so as you would have people coming and going, and as was the case, you might have had people drinking and partying and actively having a loose life within this residence and possibly even loose lips. And so it would have been a good place for someone to show up and possibly be able to gather the heart of the city by the conversations that they were able to hear. Now, it's very possible as well that understanding that people from outside of the city may make their way within here, it may have been a perfect place for them to go to be unnoticed. No one would notice us here. There's people coming and going within this house. And so whatever the reason may be, we see that they find themselves here, and at some point the king gets wind that these men are here. And so the king sends off his men to go to Rahab's house and to go give me these men because they're obviously here for no good reason. Now, as we keep moving through, what I want us to understand is that God was already at work within the scenario. God was working within the life of Rahab already. There was a stirring of the heart. There was already an understanding of different things that were taking place. And as we keep reading through our story, we're going to pick up on some of these things within her. But God was already at work. 
And so follow with me as we pick up in verse 4, because what we're going to begin to see right now is that Rahab is coming to the place of saving faith. And you may ask, well, how do we really know that? We understand and know this because of the expression of her faith. There was an expression of her faith. And what I mean by that is there was faith that was stirring up inside of her that ultimately made its way out through the actions that she was having. Follow with me in verse 4 because it says this. Then all the women took the two men and hid them. And she said... Yes, the men came to me. This is after the men, the king's men are coming asking for him. But I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them within the stock flags, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued by the road to the Jordan, to the forts, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. And so it's interesting what's beginning to happen because the story begins to unfold as these men of the king are asking, give us these two spies. Rahab is put in a situation where she has a decision to make. Am I going to continue to follow the culture where I'm living and follow the authority figure of where I am currently living? Or am I trusting in something else or someone else that I do not really know yet. And it's interesting what she chose to do because by her actions, she chose at that point to trust in someone other than herself. She took her own life and placed it in the hands of someone else. Because think this through with me. If the king would have found out that Rahab was lying, it's very possible that she may not have been able to do business no longer within the city. It's possible her family would have been exiled as well. Worse than that, it may have been possible that she could have lost her life. And so the choice that she was making here was taking her own life and placing it on someone else other than herself. You begin to see here that she hides the two men up on the roof. In this time period, the roofs would be flat. And she said she hides them under the stock of flax. And as the men come, no, you know what? They were here earlier, but I don't know where they're from, but they took off already. But if you hurry, you may be able to find them. You're seeing here within the life of Rahab, her expressing this faith that is beginning to brew within her by the actions that she is taking. Within the Bible, we see time and time again how faith and works or action are linked together. They go hand in hand. This is something that works within us. It's something that as God is working in our hearts and lives and this faith of ours is brewing, the natural thing that takes place is my heart begins to express this faith through the daily actions that I partake in, in how I live, in how I work, in how I treat my family, in how I conduct myself, and how I respond. These things are an outward reflection of the faith that is brewing within me. What you see within Rahab, uh, we are told in Hebrews 11, verse 31, it says, by faith harlot the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but she had received, when she had received the spies with peace. In James 2.18, it says, But someone will say to you, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so you can see how there is this balance between our lives, how there should be a daily reflection of my faith with my daily actions. The question that I would ask myself, the question that would be hard-pressed would be, what do my current actions show about my faith? That's a challenging question to ask ourselves. When people see my daily actions, what are they learning about my faith? 
here within Rahab, we begin to see how her faith is being expressed as she's coming to the place of saving faith in God. But not only was there an expression of the faith in her actions, but you begin to see that there was this expression of faith in the knowledge of God. Look with me in verse 8. Because it says, Now, before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. It's interesting what we begin to see now. We begin to draw out a few things from this. Because what we're seeing is that Rahab is telling us within what she's saying what the people within the city know. They obviously know, she's telling us, that the God of the Israelites is going to give them the land that they are currently living in. There's an understanding of that. We know that this God of the Israelites is going to come and this land is going to be yours. But there's also, Rahab begins to say, hey, but I've also heard of the miracles that God has done in the parting of the Red Sea, Remember, this is some 40 years prior. We remember the parting of the Red Sea. We remember how God delivered the two kings of the Amorites before you. Understand what's happening. Because Rahab's knowledge of God, Rahab's understanding of God, Rahab coming to faith in God, was because of what God did in the lives of the people. Everything that was happening within the life of Rahab up to this point, in her coming to a saving faith of God, is based on what God has done in the lives of his people and the miracles that he's done within their lives, the transformation that's taken place. Alan Redpath would say this, This poor sinful woman came to have faith in the reality of a living God because of the supernatural evidences that she saw in the life of God's people. Everything that was transpiring within the life of Rahab was dictated by the miraculous works that had happened in God's people. Think that through because what is happening here is God had chosen to use these broken vessels, these broken people, to be his method of shining his glory to a world that did not know him. Choosing the children of Israel, who we know for 40 years were rebelling and pushing against God. And yet God continued to be patient and gracious and loving and continue to use them, and continue to desire to use them. I don't know about you, but that brings comfort to my heart, because I think I can be very much like that sometimes too. And God's saying, I I am choosing to use broken vessels for the sake of shining my glory through your life, not for your sake, but for the sake of a world that cannot see me. That's God's desire. This is who the children of Israel were. This is who you and I are. It's very much why within the New Testament you find a constant charge to your life and mine to be wise in how we're walking, to be wise in how we carry ourselves. Why? Because you have a world that is watching you, for one thing, but two, because you and I are to be these light to a world that is in darkness. We're told to watch how we walk. Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Ephesians 5.15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're told to watch how we talk. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We are told to walk in wisdom. As Jesus himself would say in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we can go on and on and on looking at the scriptures. I think you get where I'm going. That God says, I can shine best within your life when you're fully surrendered to me. A life that is fully surrendered to God, a life that is transformed by the power of God, will shine brightly to a world that cannot see God. Now think that through within your life. Who would that person be within your life? Because I think we can all picture a person within our lives, a parent, a sibling, a co-worker, a child, a spouse, someone that cannot see the light yet. But God would say, I'm choosing to use broken vessels like you and I for the purpose of reaching them. And how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis will have great influence into that. That's pretty heavy to think about, but pretty neat that God would choose to use you and I for purposes such as that. Now we go on in looking at verse 14 to 24, and we won't read it for the sake of time because we want to make sure we give you guys enough time to go over uh, the notes and be able to discuss things. But in a nutshell, what we begin to see is here the, they lay this scarlet cord and they lay it out the window and they allow the men to go down and as they're having these conversations the two men and Rahab the conversation basically goes like this hey look I, I just saved your guys's life and so doesn't it seem fair that since I saved your life that I, I plead with you that when you guys come here to take over and to conquer would you save my life would you save my family's life and we're, we see here that, yes, the, the spies agree in a life for a life. And what you are to do is you are to hang this uh, scarlet cord within the window of your house and bring in everybody that you want to be safe. Because within the scarlet cord, salvation will be found. And the same picture that is for you and I as we have found salvation within the house of God by the blood of his son. And so you see that beautiful picture here of what God is beginning to do within the life of Rahab. That, those three days were necessary to reach this woman and her family. God is a patient God. God is patient and he's still trying to reach those who don't know him yet. Now we briefly go, if you wouldn't mind, turn a page over, I assume, into chapter 3, verse 5. We're only going to hit on this verse because it parallels and it deals with this preparation period that we're looking at. But we begin to see now that there was a cost that was needed, a cost that had to be counted by now the people of God. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 5 says, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Part of the preparation that God needed to do was there needed to be sanctification. Sanctification was necessary in order for God to be able to do a work. Sanctification speaks about setting apart. Now, I looked up the word sanctify in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. And there was two specific words that came out that I think outlined it very perfectly. The first word speaks about consecrate. And this word consecrate, it speaks about to set apart for a sacred purpose. To set something aside specifically for a holy or sacred purpose. It's what you and I would think about a specific vessel specific utensils that would be used within the temple of God for the worship of God or for the sacrifice of God. 
These tools and vessels were used for no other purpose other than for what they were created and designed for. The Bible speaks about you and I being these chosen vessels that God has molded and shaped himself for a specific purpose. We were created for a specific purpose in mind. God has had his hands on your life. He has been molding and shaping you for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, it says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God power may be of God and not of us. It's speaking about God choosing to use you and I to pour himself within us, that we would be a light to a world. God's desire for you and I would be to be light of the gospel, to display the glory of Christ to a world that doesn't know him. That's what God's desire is for your life and mine. This is who the children of Israel were. This is who you and I are. Now, not only is that word consecrate there what that word consecrate would have spoken of was to use something specifically for a specific purpose now I want you to put yourself within those shoes and to think of what is it that God has called me to because to live any way outside of what God has called and created me for is to live outside of God's will and is to live outside of God's best. A perfect picture we saw of the two and a half tribes of Israel, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, who ended up camping out on the other side of the Jordan River, where life was easier, where I can sometimes go in and have victory and sometimes walk within God's perfect will, but I have the freedom to pull back and to live life a little bit on the compromising side. We would know that a life lived that way. Eventually, these tribes would be the first to be taken captive by the Assyrians. There would be consequences for the decisions they made. Now, there's also the word purify that comes up when you look sanctify up. And it talks about to free from sin. This calls for the removal of things within our lives that would cause defilement. Anything that the children of Israel may have either picked up on their way, whether it was idols, whether it was uh, character flaws, whether it was habits from the culture around them, whatever it was that they were bringing with them, the call was for them to remove those things. Alan Redpath would say, the wonder-working power of God depends always on the sanctification of his people. Sanctification is necessary for God's power to be effective within our lives and to be able to reach a world that does not know him. The question is, am I living my life with God's purpose in mind? What are the things within my life that God would call me today to remove? Those are only questions that you and I can answer about ourselves. We'll close off with this before we get into our groups. Alan Redpath says this, I know that we can be sanctified only by the God of peace. Yet though holiness in the positive sense is nothing more and nothing less than the indwelling and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, expressing the life of the Lord Jesus in me. And on the negative side, it is the putting away of all known sin. That's the same thing we just talked about. It's the allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. And the natural product of that is living a life that is filled with the Spirit and living in this example of Christ or being Christ-like. There's this natural thing that happens within us, this consecration that happens of living my life specifically for what God's called me to. But we can't forget about the need to remove whatever is within our lives. That's keeping us from being able to walk within God's perfect will. And so as we break up within our groups, I believe we already have um, hosts that are going to be here within the table. So um, at this point, we'll pray real quick for your groups, and then we'll take off, and then we'll see what God does. Father, we thank you. 
We ask that you would be with all our groups right now. God, may you be glorified, be with our conversations, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're good. Well, thank you, Brian, for that word. Good insight. It's good seeing all the boys. <laughs> if uh, you're joining us online, uh, thank you. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Any feedback? Only good feedback, right? Yeah. Yeah, only good <laughs> feedback. But uh, we love we love to know you're out there. Um, and the feedback's awesome. Even on Facebook and things you can't comment on, comment on that. You can uh, watch the men or the women, right? Yes, you, you can. You can watch the men. Do not, um, if you're on our app, don't click the main service. It is blank. You have to actually click um, either the men or the women. You have to choose. Uh, that's on the app. Yes, on the app. And on uh, the website? On our website, it will have a, um, again, a link for men and women. And so I believe that uh, today we went uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, and all that for both men and women. But the easiest way is through our app or through our website. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to get right into uh, Joshua 2 here. Obviously, uh, Brian gave a great teaching on it, broke it down. Um, I'm sure there are a couple of key things that stand out to you, to me, and I know if you've studied like I believe you have, there's probably 15, 20 more things that stand out you couldn't get to. But um, I love this story. Um, I, uh, if you back up through, um, you know, what she became, you would have, you would have, she's in the genealogy of Jesus, you know, you would have never said, hey, let's, Somewhere along the line here, let's find a harlot and use a harlot to advance the redemptive plan of God. But uh, in one of my quotes here I have, it's not how we start the Christian life. Maybe even it's a red path quote, but I don't know. It's how we finish it. And um, God had a trajectory in mind for her. And so really there's a focus, as you brought out, on the, the nation, the people themselves. Um, what God was doing with them, and, and obviously uh, these pagan nations. God had them in mind. Uh, and, and then a specific woman that he would use in a very uh, powerful way. And, you know, as I go through this account, I remember reading it with my kids, and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, she lied. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, like, I've never had a good reason for that. I'm going to dig in. And as I the more I begin to maybe read more of God's Word and see it tie in, I realize that sometimes you need to focus on what God focuses on. Yes. And what God was trying to show there was not put the spotlight on the fact that she lied and then try and psychoanalyze that over and over and over, as a lot of scholars do. But God was putting the spotlight on a real person that had yet surrendered to him and had all of those flaws that needed to be redeemed, redeemed out of her, uh, flushed out of her, washed from her, changed from her. And so both here and in the book of Hebrews, of course, she's in the hall of faith, which God is highlighting her faith. And it was almost like sometimes we think the people of faith are these really squeaky clean, polished together people. But they weren't, <laughs> and, and they, all of us, God, reached us at a point where we would scratch our heads and say, do you even know what you're doing? 
But I like that. I like that that part of the narrative that God is showing how far His grace reaches and what He can do. And I, I like to say when we're giving invitations for God to save people around here, He saves with a purpose in mind. And uh, He had her in mind, her soul in mind, her family in mind, the nation of Israel in mind, and the plan of redemption in mind. So there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, just looking at a harlot that God would choose to use. And then uh, Brian as well made a good point of just like, well, what, what was it that really got to her? And obviously there was a lot of things known about the nation of Israel, their God, and how he had been a God that delivers, is a God that brings victory in these things. And so her, her faith wasn't just like a made-up thing. Oftentimes we run into people, don't we, that want to make up this thing about God in their own terms, their own view. Well, I believe God is this. I believe God is that. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Um, there were people of God that were walking in obedience and in deliverance, and they had a reputation that preceded them. And that got out. The the, the encouragement to be light people are watching us the reputation of the nation of Israel and their God was known and it really began to to pierce this girl's heart I mean the way she talks about that we have heard about what God your God has done he's dried up on the water of the Red Sea and and what he did in delivering you from the Amorites you know we've heard these things and she talks about how it affected their heart our hearts melted and, and you know, the, the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven and above and on earth. Just from what she heard. So we never want to minimize our personal testimonies or the testimony of our church, ever. You never know what Rahab out there is getting completely convicted by it. What about you? What's stand now? You know, um, in, in chapter one, we really focused on courage and that God would um, encourage Joshua to have courage. Moses encouraged Joshua to have courage. And then here she talks about there's no more courage in us. And um, I, I, I was thinking about that. And I, I have a audio Bible that's dramatized and it's a woman reading that part. And she, when she's talking to the spies, she's crying. And, and, and it just pictured to me, there, that had to have been fearful because she didn't know the outcome. She had no idea of the outcome of going to these spies and asking for that favor. And so I thought about that. That was courage of her. That was courageous. That was a step of faith to go to them. Like you talked about, like it'd just be easier to go you know, what, what I wrote when you were talking about, easier to go to what you know. It would be easier to go to the king of Jericho. Let's turn these guys in. But she had courage. And, and yes, there was fear in her because of what she saw. But that fear did turn into courage because she went and approached these guys and asked for that favor and that courage. And, and it, it, as I look at her, she's she's talking. It, it I, I saw it as like a circle of, of like, building each other's faith. You know, these guys, they, they they actually had the faith to go into the into the city, and then she starts telling them, "Hey, we're all scared of you." <laughs> and in faith, she says that. But then at the end of the chapter. They're repeating what she says. So they were, their faith was encouraged by hearing her talk about what's in their hearts. And then they had to go back and now encourage Joshua. It was almost like, hey, this is happening, man. God is, God is feeding that courage into all of them. You know, her by seeing and hearing what went on. And, and yes, I think it started with fear. God, God used it and turned it into faith and courage where she's now, um, again, coming forward and asking for this favor. And 
I, I, I love that story as well. And, and it's funny, you know, my, uh, our daughters are, 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 are a lot alike. And my youngest asked me the same question. And I remember I could not answer it right away. I had to like, I had to think through and yes, it, it took a while, but like, Hey dad, you tell me not to lie. <laughs> and here she is lying. But, but it, uh, again, the focus wasn't on that part of it. The focus was on what God was doing and the saving of the life and um, of these guys' lives. And, and, and thank God that, that she did choose what she chose. And, and, um, but Rahab's life in the New Testament is, here, here's, here's a harlot, a prostitute. And in the New Testament, you see her, she's, she's referred to with Sarah. She's referred to with Abraham. And these are people of faith, people of character as well. And um, they're looked at as equals and not because of, like you said, Lance, where they started from or their past, but because of the steps of faith that they took in, in when, when, when something was in front of them. When she was faced with these things, she stepped out in faith and made that decision. I think too, just circling back on, on the modeling of our faith as, as you hit, um, you know, we talk about the Christian life. Uh, Jesus refers to it as the abundant life. I refer to it as like the higher life. It's, it's, the, it's, it's just the superior life. And it's, it's not that, that we are superior, it's the life he, he gives us. When we are, are aided by God, his power is parting red seas for us, you know. Um, he's, he, the power, the strength of God, the victories that God had brought on behalf of these people, it's the higher life, if you will. And this, this girl saw a, a life lived by another nation and compared that to her nation. And she wanted that other nation because of their God and the life that he had given them. Think about how many men had frequented her house. What kind of men were those like? Mm. Were they like towards her? And then here's these two Israelites. And they have this fear of God. And they're instilling that in her. Mm. The higher life versus the life of all the, mm. the lower lived life that she has seen in frequenting her house. And, and that, that, that really convicts us, doesn't it? I mean, to, to yeah. think through how much we're being watched, as you said, and just the ability, the, the privilege we have to live the, uh, um, the consecrated life. I put a scripture in here in the end of my uh, notes here, and I thought it was just, just a good thought. Maybe I could find it. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was in 2 Timothy, I don't know if you read this or not, but 2.20 and 21. Uh, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Mm. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, there's some responsibility that comes with that. In the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, which you talked about, um, breaking the word down, um, for the master, useful, and, and, and a vessel for honor, sanctified for every useful, uh, and, and useful for the master, prepared for every... Um, good work and you know we talk about characters important we talk about integrity is important we even talk about consistency is important consistency is what builds a character that people go hmm uh, or, or integrity it takes some consistency and all of that and obviously uh, God was uh, was reaching this girl through his witness uh, a witness through his people he's powerful God not only reached this girl, but I think parallel to the to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, her family got saved. Mm -hmm. So because of her faith, her family got saved. And how many of us desire that? How many of us pray for that? That, Lord, that, that our faith would save our family mm. and our extended family. This is a great picture of faith and a great model, like you say, in that I want my faith to save my family. That and and um, I want, but but that takes, like you were saying, it takes a lived-out faith. 
and a demonstrable faith, uh, a faith that has actions, a faith that is tangible, a faith that people see what you're like in, in a moment of trial, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of needing to cling to the Lord and, and what, what do you do? And that type of faith saves your family. And it's living it out, as you said, too. I mean, it's, that's the example that James is, when he's, when he's reaching for, you know, I need an example out of the Old Testament, if you will. He reaches for Rahab, much like Abraham. The idea was helping, um, I believe, more of the Jewish mind understand that right standing with God is, it's, it's, it's not through works. You're not working to gain this right standing with God or justification with God. But it doesn't mean you don't work. And, and he gives some examples that it was the faith of Abraham. But then he also reaches out to, to Rahab that goes, he kind of goes along the lines of, look, you show me faith without works and I'll show you some dead faith. <laughs> faith, saving faith is faith that works. It will, it's going to, the, the life of God, the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of the Word is going to be produced through us. It's going to change how we think, how we talk, how we the decisions we make, how we live our life. Um, and, and, and that becomes the evidence. And that's what he's using Rahab as an example there in James chapter 2. He's, um, how she was justified by works. Not that that's what saved her, but it was the evidence um, in that sense um, that, that she really believed in God. Like there was, she could have just said what she said to the spies. But then... They were like, listen, you, there's some things now you've got to do. Well, what do I got to do? Don't tell anybody about this or you're done. And, and if anybody like, is not in your household when we come, they're done. And then this, the scarlet you know, rope or whatever it was, we're not sure exactly what it was, um, something purple hanging from the window uh, cloth. This, this needs to be done. You've got to do this. And as we look at it from this side of it, it's all of that evidence that shows she truly did believe in God. And then it affected her family. And, and they, she was convinced enough, and this is important to really think through in our, our audience over here. They warned her that judgment was coming. We didn't talk much about that. And we're living in a day right now we don't talk enough about it, I think, because we're just living under so much heaviness. And, and, uh, but we do believe this is all leading toward a day and a time and an age when the judgment of God is coming. She believed that so much so that she like, I've got to get my family in this house. We've got to be here when the judgment comes and we've got to be like hunkered down believing what God, the, the, the grace that God's giving us here and putting our faith in that. And that's what led to the saving of her household. And so she, she believes in a, in a God of another nation and that that God was someone she began to fear and spoke of in great confidence about. And now she's standing in front of two of those people. She's completely putting their faith in what they have to say. And, and God took it from there. What else stands out that maybe you didn't cover there, Brian? You know, it's interesting because everything you're, you're talking about, when I was studying, um, a personal story kind of came out, and it was, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so I got saved um, in the high school. I was about 17 years old, and so I was the first Christian in my family to get saved. And so I could vividly remember when um, I started going to church, and parents were kind of freaking out, like, what got into him? And, you know, I was a pretty wild kid when I was younger so they kind of knew me for a specific lifestyle and all of a sudden God begins to work within my life and you know I, as much as I try to share with my family as much as I try to to share the gospel and to pour into them um, there was no winning them over they didn't want to hear about the gospel they didn't want to, they were you know in their mind they were betrayed by their son because he was choosing a different religion and so it was interesting because after a while, I just stopped. I said, oh, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And so week in, week out, just going to church, doing things. 
But one of the things that I think began to make a difference with them was not so much what I said, but what they were seeing. And not to say that there was anything special within me, but just God was taking away certain things in my life that I used to do, and no longer did I have a desire to do those things anymore. And so my life was radically beginning to change and beginning to be different. And it wasn't until some, maybe two years later or something, as I was going to church in the morning, um, my parents asked, hey, are you going to church today? Yeah, can we go with you? Yeah, sure, come on down. <laughs> it's just, come on down. And so little by little, God would begin to do a work in them where they would give their lives over to the Lord after time, where my sister would get saved and her family. And it was just an amazing thing that happened. But as I sit back and as I was studying and looking that through, I was just kind of thinking that personally in my life, like, man, not to say I was anything special, but just what God was doing within my life, the miraculous transformation was what people were seeing. And they were saying, that's not his natural character. That's not naturally who he is. We, we've seen who he is. So what we're seeing is something completely different. And it was, I feel like God was using that to be able to minister to them. And so uh, personally, as I, like I said, as I was going through that, I was just remembering just like, man, so true, just kind of what God was doing. Good. Well, the the boldness of her faith too. I mean, to do all of this, you know, in a, in a city where, like you were saying, if this king would have found out, she would have been toast. But uh, you know, real faith will declare itself to a fallen world, man, and and that was uh, that was true. So, um, What else stands out to you, Francel? Anything you know, else? I was thinking as you're saying, Brian, um, personally, right, as not only the things that God takes away, but the things that God puts in now um, is a testimony, you know. I, I remember when I, when I felt that I wanted to forgive somebody, and it had nothing to do with, I had pity, you know, I'll forgive you, like he fell off his bike, you know. <laughs> like, it wasn't that, like I really felt... He, he infused that forgiveness in me like, I need to forgive that guy. And those type of things, when God actually gives you something that wasn't there, you know, not the lack of these things, but, but and that's part of it too, but, but the infusion of new character where, man, I don't, I, it, like you said, it's not natural to want to forgive somebody. There, I don't think there's anything natural about that. I believe when you have a desire and you act on it to forgive something that is a hundred percent supernatural, and so when those start, when those certain things start happening in my life in in our lives, people notice that, and people are like, "What is that?" Because they've never maybe they've never felt that, or maybe they think like, "You're weird. What's wrong with you? Like, why would you do that?" Because you you, you start realizing when you start realizing how much you've been forgiven, it really feels like, "Wow, I." I owe this, and, and not only do I owe it, I, I don't feel worthy to hold on to something that shouldn't be there, you know, but, but I, that's, that's what stands out to me when we talk about, you know, acting, in our, acting out our faith, and, and some of the things that, and God does take things away, but also the things he puts in, you know, I think about Isaiah chapter 61 in that beautiful exchange he does he gives us beauty for ashes he gives us you know a spirit of heaviness you know for you know he for for the garment of praise all these things he gives us when we just step out in faith and those things are are are, are tangible they really are they're um they're things that you could see they're things that you could witness in people's lives and again a lot of it is not what you say, but how you act in those areas, and people will notice. And prayerfully, as we see here, loved ones will notice, and loved ones will get saved. You know that that the God part, you know that we talk about, and non-believers don't experience, so that it seems foreign to them. You even say, "God put something in my heart to forgive and whatnot." But in, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul's like, hey, whether I'm with you or without, not absent from you, he's like, you guys need to learn to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This, take it serious. And then it says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
And I, I remember taught that over and over and over and just kind of flew through it. Then one day I'm gonna break this down because what's that, that will part, both to will? And that's what it means. He puts a will in us. There's things, as you were talking about when you first converted, you began to desire that you never desired before you were saved. And that's the will of God. God puts that in us. I remember even as, you know, I walked with the Lord for a number of years and, and as an adult and uh, probably in my latter teens, I had no will or any desire to serve him. Uh, if the church needed help, I'd help him. <laughs> but I was like the calling. I had no idea. And then something was like put in me, you know, when I went to Hawaii to live. And, and I was already saved. But, you know, talk about life really getting exciting. It's, that's when you're, you're working out your salvation. You're trying to do whatever part your part is between you and your relationship with God within the body of Christ and within this fallen world. And all of a sudden, God just instills something in you. Maybe love for a certain people or love for his word. Um, I remember I, I, I realized around the surf shop and when I was doing surfboards and all, that the advice I was giving guys, I was just, you guys stop doing that. It was, that wasn't cutting it. But I had this heart to want to see these guys, you know, free from all the the worldly stuff because it was really beating them up. And I just wanted them to have a cool life. And of course, as a Christian, there was so much more than just having a cool life. But God, God put that in me, I know. A heart for them, a heart for his word, and a heart to see the word uh, worked out in them. And so if you're, you're watching online, um, maybe you, you're a non-believer, think of what Brian is talking about here, all of us, in that sense about how there is, there is no one that's beyond the reach of God's grace. He loves you and he wants to save you as much as a harlot living in the city of Jericho a few thousand years ago. And he's able and maybe the circumstances that brought you to even watch this online tonight is, is, is God orchestrating the events in your life to where you begin to understand his love and that he is able to save you and able to bring victory in your life. Maybe there's things you need to be freed from. And then just know once you come to that place where you would accept Jesus into your life like we have and begin the Christian walk, that uh, he saved you with a purpose in mind or will save you with a purpose in mind and will give you every blessing that comes with the higher life we've talked about, just like we're experiencing. You know, um, in the book of Numbers, Rahab would go on to marry uh, a Hebrew and would enter into the promised land. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? She, she, she was saved. She got to, to what the promised land represents or pictures it's a picture of is, is living in the perfect will of God. She, she got there, man. And that's what God wants for you. And as much as you will begin to, if you give your life to the Lord, you begin to understand your part in the relationship and working out your salvation, you know, diving more into God's word, talking to him more in prayer, um, building relationships within the body of Christ, all of that, um, using your gifts, whatever it is that you find God gives you, uh, you'll find that he begins to do something in you. He begins to both to will, the will to do what he's called you to do and saved you to do and to do. Uh, and you'll experience the, 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 the same life we are right now. And that's why we're here. We want to continue spreading that good news. So, you started us off tonight. Why don't you close us off tonight? Right on. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for just an awesome time to be able to dig into your word. God, there is so much that you have stirred up within even my own heart in the studying and the teaching, God. And as we sit here and discuss, God, you continue to bring things to light and to remembrance. Lord, we are just so grateful of your grace. And even as uh, Pastor Lance shared, God, how there is no soul that is so far away from your loving hand, God, and what you can do within us. And we are so grateful for your grace and your love. And 
So we ask God now that you continue to move through your body, Lord, both those that are here and those that are watching online. Father, would you continue to have your hand upon them, continue to draw them near to you and continue just to draw them into a deep personal relationship with you, God, and that they would live this life, this higher plane life we talk about, Lord, of walking perfectly within your will. And so we just thank you, Lord, and ask that you would just continue to be with us now in Jesus' name. For uh, any of you that might have uh, felt as we were talking about the need to accept the Lord and, and you've never done that, you know, Jesus, uh, he came and died on a cross for you. The Bible makes it clear. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, maybe take this night and, and um, really think through eternity and, and if your life were to come to an end uh, abruptly, where would you go? There's a heaven, there's a hell. Uh, you want to go to heaven and, and you make that decision down here by putting your faith uh, in Jesus, asking him to uh, forgive you, asking him to save you, asking him to come into your life and um, just have that heart to heart with him and uh, ask him to save you and he will. And if you've prayed that prayer in the past or will pray that prayer tonight and you would like to talk to us anytime here uh, Monday through Friday, uh, 10 to 5, call the church office, 714-446-6222, uh, or email us, uh, and we'd love to, to talk to you if you need a Bible, um, whatever whatever we can do to help you, we're here for you, and uh, we love you, and we're praying for you, and we're grateful for our online audience, so uh, that's it for tonight here, uh, but we will be back here on uh, Sunday morning at 8.30 going through Acts chapter 6. Very exciting chapter. So uh, we love you. God bless you. Have a great night.